0: There's Virgie Kilgore, in case you didn't see her come in. Very happy to see her. So, uh, last week we were talking about Nahum, and this week we're going to move into Habakkuk. And uh, from what I was reading, uh, you know, because I read and study these things throughout the week. Uh, the prophecy of Nahum, uh, although presented in the passages there from Nahum as, uh, uh, remember we talked about coming on like a tsunami or a flood or, uh, you know, I, I gave an example of Mount St. Helens and uh what it's like to be on the receiving end of the wrath of God. Uh and so uh, one thing that I read that said Nahum probably didn't live long enough to see the prophecy fulfilled. His own prophecy. That's one thing I read. If you read different things you will find conflicting opinions about all kinds of things, about who was the king at that time, about what time period it happened. Uh, but but in the passages of of the book uh they they look at uh, events that are mentioned and they say well this had to have happened before that and after that but you'll notice that those details are not my primary focus uh in the lessons that I'm teaching and you might even note that I'm teaching these books in a way that's different than you've seen them taught before or other books uh some people are big history buffs uh some people want to pick out all the fine details about um you know things that are that are I'm, I'm trying to think of a better word than mechanical. Uh, the details are important. Uh, but especially, uh, during the times that we're in now, we're, uh, I don't know whether we can call this the middle of a pandemic or the beginning of the end or, I, I don't know. No, I don't think anyone can accurately pinpoint where we're at on the timeline of the pandemic, right? Uh, maybe it would be a little bold and arrogant to attempt to do so although we hear people trying to do it all the time. I hear people saying, "Oh, now that we're at, that we're past the pandemic, we're at the end of the pandemic." I'm like, "Hold on. You know, I hope we are. That's what we're all praying for. Uh but it's in God's hands. We're on his timeline. We're going to talk about that some today. But but, you know, a little self-disclosure. There have been times that, you know, cuz uh, once you've been a Christian for a while, you've been through studies of books, you've studied the books yourselves, and certain things within it are very important to you and certain aspects of how it is taught and then someone else gets up and teaches it in a in a, a a way that is not what you expected. And uh and there have been occasions when that has irritated me, right? Um, and I've been like, Oh, he didn't mention the most important thing over here and he didn't teach this that way and tie it to that thing over there and so, you know, you you can get to feeling that way. And so I wanna introduce a very uh contemporary word that it's not in the Bible, though the concept is there, uh, that I learned at the university. We didn't have this word when I was in the military. It was a new word that came along after I got out 18 years ago. But when I was working at, at the university, it was one of these words that they loved to use in our uh, manager's meetings, uh, the management of the enrollment center, uh, enrollment services there. And uh, people love the word onus. You ever heard that? We're going to put the onus on the students we're going to put the onus on the lender i worked in financial aid by the way we're going to put the onus on the parent we're going put, somebody was always talking about put the onus on someone and uh i'm not sure i ever looked the word up but the best i could figure in the context it was usually given was they were talking about responsibility right and i guess it makes sense onus is fewer syllables so it's easier and faster to say you know so uh you know, a little laziness there, maybe, I don't know, but uh so they love that word onus, and, and I grew to like the concept in certain situations. So, you know, as Bible students, which we all are, right, you don't know a Christian who isn't a Bible student, whether they know it or not, right? We're all students of the Bible, of God's Word, and so the onus is on each of us to study those details on our own and to read the book that we're going to study before the class, right? Uh, so onus, the onus is on you. If if somebody thinks, oh, he didn't mention this detail, well, obviously you already knew it, right? So, <laughs> uh, and everyone else is going to study it. But I am trying to focus on things that are important to us in our timeline. Things that, that uh, that because in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll go ahead and read this again, because I told you it was going to be a focus of our study throughout this quarter, so I should go back to it every once in a while. But there in Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 11, he said, And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers so you know we don't have the prophets with us anymore with the exception of the writings that are left for us from uh from their revelations so they're still with us in that way and that's why we're studying them but it says he gave them he gave prophets evangelists pastors teachers elders shepherds and teachers right Four. The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of the Christ. That's why... We have the prophets, and that's why we're focusing on them right now and teaching the prophets so that the saints will be edified for the work of ministry. All right, so just a little reminder there, and I'd mentioned that was going to be the focus. Also, Hebrews 5 there, where it talks about the oracles of God, and we'll mention that a couple times in this lesson. But so Nahum was fulfilled uh, by... The, uh, we talked about last week, the Babylonians, the Medes, and the, I don't know whether it's called the Scythians or the Scythians, right? Uh, eventually they're in, uh, uh, it's estimated that happened in 612 BC, right? And so, to understand Habakkuk, you have to back up and kind of start with Josiah. King Josiah. And we'll do that in just a moment. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, God of all mercy and love and grace, we are thankful for this opportunity to gather together to commune in fellowship with one another, to praise and exalt your holy name today. And Father, we pray that as you examine our hearts now and throughout the week until we meet again, that you find us presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. We pray this morning, Father, for our study, that you will... Guide us with your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. We're thankful, Father, for the opportunity to look into your word and pray that you will bless our studies not only here together, but when we are apart throughout the week. Bless us, Father, to take these things to meditate upon them after we have searched your word and that we might apply these things father to our logic and our thinking and our attitude and our behavior and then to teach our children by the example of doing this thank you most of all father for Jesus and his example that we might know him through your word and to emulate that life lived perfectly so that we can be with you for eternity. Thank you most of all, Father, for the avenue of repentance and forgiveness through him, through his sacrifice, having made contact with his blood in the watery grave of baptism, that we can be forgiven and that we can repent and be forgiven. And thank you so much, Father, for the opportunity to be faithful to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Habakkuk, kind of in a nutshell, you may recall, uh, starts off with his burden, a heavy weight on his shoulders. And so uh, Habakkuk speaks to the Lord. I call that prayer. Uh, and you know, when when I, when I read it the way they, uh, this Bible here that I've got, uh, it gives me room to write in it, but it, it doesn't have the commentary. It's not one of those student study Bibles teaching, so I can put some little notes between the little margin. There's not much space for it um but uh but it gives you the little subtitles over certain passages and it starts off with the prophet's question and then in some of the commentary that I read it said Habakkuk is having a dialogue with the Lord because uh, uh as opposed to our communication with God now uh he was speaking to God I call that prayer right and God was answering him and he was writing the answer. So he starts off with uh, what what some have characterized as a complaint. Uh and then God answers him and then there's disbelief when Habakkuk hears that God is going to bring in the Chaldeans or the Babylonians uh here in this passage referred to as the Chaldeans that he's going to bring in a force more wicked than Judah which is what Habakkuk is having to deal with and what he's what he's praying about. And so there's disbelief on the part of Habakkuk and then he waits and God answers him again. Uh, and then you see a different uh, perspective, a different, uh, different attitude from Habakkuk after he gets a response from God. So um, so we will go through this, uh, the prayer and the answering that prayer and talk a little bit about prayer. But Habakkuk starts off with, uh, verse one, the burden or the heavy weight upon the shoulders of Habakkuk, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. And so right off the bat, in reading the book of Habakkuk, we want to relate to this. And so we think of examples from the New Testament and we can go there and read different examples of where they were bearing a burden based on things that they saw and that they were experiencing during their time. And then we can fast forward again to where we're at today and think about what we're seeing and what we're experiencing and the burden, the heavy weight upon our shoulders. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I've worked in pediatrics for the past six and a half years and never before have I seen so many parents coming in, breaking down, falling apart. And... Uh, uh, so one of my responsibilities has been to answer the calls when the parents call and leave a message or, or send a, a note or whatever and, and do some triage, right? And decide whether they need an appointment with a doctor or they need some other kind of appointment. So there's there's got to be some triage because doctors are very busy people. And uh, uh, I cannot tell you how many times in, was has it been, 15 months, 16, 18 months? The number of times that the parents have called and they just break down and you just kind of, you listen, you encourage, you coach, you know. And then you try to help guide them to some help is just the best word i can think of, you know. Uh, man, that help is so valuable. But the counseling business is booming. Uh, and there's a shortage of Everybody. There aren't enough appointments on the books of the qualified people to handle all of it uh, for the parents and how they've been affected by the events of the past year and the kids, especially statistics about suicide rates, attempted suicide, these things. So these, you know, um, you, you've got to you've got to take care of yourself, too, you know but uh throw throw on top of that all the problems that we've been having in society and then and then go ahead and throw on top of that all the problems that we 've been having with the world and with what it what it all boils down to is how people are treating each other i think you know pandemic aside you know that uh, we can do so much to control that right that's uh that's a level beyond my control but uh when we look at how people are treating each other, uh, seems like sometimes it's worse in America than it is in the rest of the world, which, you know, you can remember back to a time when from America we looked out to another part of the world and said, boy, they're treating each other worse than we are. Might not always be the case now. But in verse 2, Habakkuk asks the Lord, he says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? Or plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. So can you relate to any of that? All right. And I know you have to you have to take health breaks. You can't just sit down and focus on that stuff 24/7. You know, it will mess you up. Yeah, I I it's reality, but uh we have to we have to take care of ourselves, you know. Drive out to a lake, park, get out, walk around. Pray. But when I read that second verse, I just I think about all the the crying that I've heard over the course of the past 18, 18 months or so, um, and you don't you don't react by saying you know anything that's uh, that that shows a lack of compassion. Uh, you have to be compassionate with people, but so Habakkuk is looking at what 's going on during his times there in Judah, and so you back up to josiah king josiah um, we'll back up to second uh, chronicles thirty four and read about where they were at, then and then move forward mm-hmm. So King Josiah reigns in Judah, uh, and this fellow became king when he was very young, eight years old, right? And then some very significant things happened during his reign uh, that we'll definitely be able to relate to. But there in 34 and verse 1, it starts off, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Uh, and, you know, you can do a sermon on that where God's telling you to stay out of politics, right? Are you conservative? I'm a Christian. Are you a liberal? Are you a Democrat, a Republican, a Whig? I don't know. I'm a Christian. Are you on the right or the left? I'm on God's side. All of those people who want to identify themselves as those things need to come to the Lord. and need to call themselves Christians. You stand with God, you're right. And that's where God wants us to be. You stand anywhere else, you're going to be wrong. At least... To some accept, unacceptable degree, so. So this is telling us to stay out of politics. In and and verse 3 says, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, so he became king when he was eight, so now he's 16 years old, he began to seek the God of his father David. That that immediately made me think of Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, where he's talking about ask, seek, and knock, right? And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. So it says here that when he was 16 years old, he began to seek the God of his father David, ask, seek, and knock. So I think it's a reasonable expectation for us to expect our young people at around the age of 16 to follow suit. This is a biblical example. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence and the incense altars which were above them he cut down and the wooden images, the carved images and the molded images he broke into pieces. And made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Pretty serious stuff. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. You know, I look at the dust of the ashes that were spread on those graves and, and I ask myself, what kind of ashes would be scattered on my grave? What kind of ashes will be scattered on my grave after after I, I'm gone, you know? Uh, and and here it seems like the ashes of what they were devoted to were scattered on their graves. So what am I devoted to, you know? Uh, I want to live my life in such a way that, that the ashes of my television are not scattered on my grave. And the ashes of social media are scattered on my grave. Or the ashes of anything else that takes more of of uh, my time than God. Something to think about. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, in verse six, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and all around with axes. When he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder and cut powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel he returned to Jerusalem and so it says when he was 16 he began to seek the God of his father David there in verse 3 and I had related that to uh, Matthew 7 and verse 7 and 8 so I'm going to read that real quick because uh, we're going to talk about that ask, seek, and knock since that's something that we're doing now too we should look at it Matthew 7 verse 7 and 8 jesus says here in the sermon on the mount ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened now back to first chronicles so here you have josiah Asking, seeking, and knocking. Because it says there in verse 3 that he began to seek the God of his father David at age 16. And then jump down to verse 14. And I'll start reading there. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. He found the book of the law. What? What? That is mind-boggling that the book of the law ever became anything that needed to be found. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe, Shaphan, Shaphan, I'm not sure, so Shaphan, told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Some of us need to tear our clothes. Uh you read John 15:15 15, 15, and focus on the word study the the context of the word all a l l there in John 15:15 15, 15. He tore his clothes then the king commanded Hilkiah a Ahik- he. Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Abdon the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, and Esaiah a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do something to do according to all that is written in the book our fathers because our fathers have not kept the word of the lord we're the fathers now are we not and then you jump down to verse 29 Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem. That's interesting. He made. He made them. He made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God. The God of their fathers. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all made. He made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. So that's interesting. So this happened. During the reign of King Josiah. And then another king came. And then another king followed that one. And then prophets came. And then we find ourselves in Habakkuk going backwards again. So here in the first chapter of Habakkuk. We see Habakkuk crying out to the Lord and asking how long in verse 2 and why in verse 3. And one of the lessons that I listened to uh, about Habakkuk uh, emphasized these words, how long and why, uh, and said to pay very close attention to those because, as he noted, God never answers these questions. But I remember when Ken over here taught Job. You taught Job, right? It was a couple of years ago yeah Yeah. so in in the succession of how the elders have lined up the the whole bible to be taught uh we we looked at job here in the auditorium a couple of years ago and uh remember job 38 and 2 very important verse from from that from those lessons right uh who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge (laughs) and how often do we see men doing this uh last week we talked a little bit about worship right and we talked about how uh there's a whole lot of displeasing and unacceptable worship going on in the world and in some of the uh some of the churches in the brotherhood uh, but thank the lord for our shepherds who keep us on a narrow path walking in the light serving god in accordance with his will in ways that are pleasing and acceptable to Him, which we find the guidance for in His Word. So we talk about worship. We talk about worship is is active. It's something you do. It's a concept worthy of much focus and attention and study and teaching and preaching. Worship. And how oftentimes today, worship is evaluated based on more on how it pleases men than on how it is pleasing to God. But here in the first chapter, and beginning with verse four, Habakkuk draws some conclusions. So here's Habakkuk talking to God. He's got a heavy burden on his shoulder because Judah has uh is is very wicked during Habakkuk's time. Uh, these are God's people, right? And we had seen back there before Josiah made that commitment to God and turned things around before he started truly asking, seeking, and knocking uh, that that there was much wickedness there too. So Habakkuk finds himself in times that, that we might uh, uh, compare to our own. And he draws four conclusions. Now, I'm going to read these and, and uh, I'm going to ask you up front if you can relate to any of these during our times. Therefore, that indicates we've got some conclusions coming here that he has made. Therefore, the law is powerless. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. The righteous are surrounded by the wicked. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Any judgment that is not based on God's judgment is perverse. And uh, read there in Corinthians, uh, right now I can't remember where it's at, but you, you find it. I'll put the onus on you to find where the Bible talks about the logic of man versus the logic of God. Right? So then the Lord replies... And this is the part where I said, kind of in the overview, where, so Habakkuk presents his burden, crying out to the Lord. He's arrived at these conclusions. Everything's horrible. He was right. We are right. And then the Lord has a reply for him that uh, he responds to with disbelief down in verse 12. But we'll start in verse 5 here where he says, Look among the nations and watch. Now, remember, this is this is God talking now. This is God's reply to him. After Habakkuk has said, Are you not seeing this? Are you not hearing and witnessing this? God, where are you? When, when are you going to jump in here and do something? Aren't you going to do anything about this? Now, take note of the fact that Habakkuk, who is a prophet, uh, is a godly and a righteous man. That's the impression I get. But he's surrounded by all this evil and wickedness among his own people, Judah. And God responds, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it were told you. Habakkuk, you are not going to believe this. But I'm about to tell you what I'm going to do about that mess. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And uh, the Babylonians were a godless and ruthless bunch of warriors, much like the Assyrians that we talked about last week. Uh, the, the Babylonians won their independence from uh, the Assyrians somewhere around 625 B.C. from what I read. Uh, and then they they rapidly rose to power and were meaner and nastier than the Assyrians had been uh again you're back to them going through different cities and nations conquering everybody and just hacking everybody up and killing everybody men women and children blood runs in the streets and and one of their things we talked about uh you know some of the wickedness of the Assyrians with the Babylonians Histori- uh, historians have written that that one of the things they like to do is, uh, within the cities and at the gates of the cities that they conquered, they would pile up the, the, the heads, the decapitated heads of all their victims into like piles and little pyramids, uh, so that you would know as you were entering the city, uh, who had done that and who, who was ruling over them and who was oppressing them. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 33 real quick here. Verse 11 there, Ezekiel prophesied, For thus says the Lord God, The sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon you. And then down in verse 22, he says, Assyria is there and all her company with their graves all around her, all of them slain, fallen by the sword. Her graves are set in the recesses of the pit, and her company is all around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword. Who caused terror in the land of the living? And uh, so, you had the Assyrians... Now they're dealing with the Babylonians, and God said, I'm going to send the Chaldeans. A bitter and hasty nation, in verse 6, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are fierce and impetuous, and I am bringing them to your town. They're coming to Judah. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Now there verse 7 where it says their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Remember we were talking about the judgment of man versus the judgment of God? So God's bringing in a force who's, who are a law unto themselves. And we see a lot of that going on in our world today too. People taking the law into their own hands. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Uh, there were so many of them. They were so numerous, uh, that, uh, if they came up upon, uh, you know, a, a fortified, uh, inhabited city with, with a wall, something like we talked about with the Assyrians last week, that there were so many of them that, uh, that they could afford the casualties necessary to heap up uh, stones and rubble for a way to to get over that wall and to do that very quickly. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his god. Uh, and then so this basically God answering the the burden or the complaint of Habakkuk with, "This is what I'm going to do. I'm bringing the Chalbe- Chaldeans." And then God even goes into detail talking about how terrible, uh, how horrible. Uh, the Babylonians are and then Habakkuk responds with what so you do nothing about this and I come to you and I ask you what are you going to do about this when are you going to get involved and rectify this situation and God responds with I'm going to bring in a force more terrible than the people that you're praying for more horrible and far more terrible than they are. And so man's logic thinking about that if uh uh if this whole thing were secular and uh, God wasn't involved and and you call the police uh who we see as an authority uh, uh that is uh, charged with our protection to protect and serve and you call the cops and say my house is under attack and they say I'm going to send some murderers and thieves, and uh, I'm going to send ISIS from the Middle East to come and help you out, right? So that's how Habakkuk feels right now. He's like, what? This makes no sense to me. You are, we are, you know, Judah is evil and wicked, and you are going to send a force more evil and wicked than we are? What are you thinking? So he's, there's some challenging going on here. So Habakkuk says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them, the Babylonians, for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You're going to have them correct us. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Your eyes, God, are too pure to approve of such evil. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? You know, yeah, you know, we're bad, but they're worse. We're wicked, but you're going to bring in someone more wicked, far more wicked than we are? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no rulers over them? A person more righteous than he there is talking about Judah, obviously. Why do you make men like fish of the sea? It kind of makes you think of Matthew 5 where it says, where it talks about love your enemies. Mm, try applying that in this situation. Did you pray for ISIS when all that stuff was going on? Do do you feel some responsibility that the word of God hasn't uh, been uh, proliferated more throughout the world? In verse 15, they take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net. And remember back to the beginning when we started talking about Jacob and Esau, how the Edomites, uh, the, much of their condemnation there in, uh, in verses uh, around 11, uh, 12 and 13 there were that they were as, as, uh, uh, as his own, as their own people, Jacob and Esau, they're related, right, uh, were being hauled off and conquered. They were cheering them on. They were on the wrong side of that equation. But Habakkuk is very familiar with the battle tactics of the Chaldeans. They rejoice and are glad, therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet, because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? And then we move into chapter two, and you know, the chapter and verse divisions were put here by men, not by God, but this was a good place to put one. There are some places where you see it and it's, it's like that, that interrupted the flow. They shouldn't have put that new chapter right there, right? But this was a good place to put one because Habakkuk responds to God here by saying, I will stand my watch. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. This is the pivotal moment of this book, the book of Habakkuk, because Habakkuk decides to wait. It's a very important decision that we'll talk about more in depth next week. And set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. That's interesting to me. So Habakkuk, He's uh, he's outpouring, pouring his heart out to God here with everything that he's seeing and being afflicted by. Uh, and then he kind of challenges God. And God answers, this is what I'm going to do about it. Habakkuk is shocked by this revelation that God's going to bring in the Chaldeans to deal with uh, Judah. And then after God answers... There's some wisdom here where Habakkuk says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. That's a good attitude. Sometimes we charge straight ahead and challenge God. Look at this. Can you not see this? Look what's going on here. What are you going to do about this? And the mistake we make is we don't stop and wait and receive God's correction with the attitude where Habakkuk said, when I am corrected. One important difference. God was actually talking to, communicating to Habakkuk. This is how he communicates with us. So when you finally develop the wisdom to sit and wait, it, that sounds kind of harsh. Uh, I didn't mean that. I'm not saying that you don't have wisdom. Or that you haven't found it. But when we have the wisdom, when we employ the wisdom to sit and wait, we need to be looking at this. Because this is how God answers us. Okay, thank you for your attention.